0: Section 7 of the Theory of Moral Sentiments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Theory of Moral Sentiments by Adam Smith. Part 1. Section 3. Chapter 3. Of the corruption of our moral sentiments, which is occasioned by this disposition to admire the rich and the great, and to despise or neglect persons of poor and mean condition this disposition to admire and almost to worship the rich and the powerful and to despise or at least to neglect persons of poor and mean condition though necessary both to establish and maintain the distinction of ranks and the order of society is at the same time the great and most universal cause of the corruption of our moral sentiments that wealth and greatness are often regarded with the respect and admiration which are due only to wisdom and virtue, and that the contempt of which vice and folly are the only proper objects is often most unjustly bestowed upon poverty and weakness, has been the complaint of moralists in all ages. We desire both to be respectable and to be respected. We dread both to be contemptible and to be contempted. But upon coming to the world We soon find that the wisdom and virtue are by no means the sole objects of respect, no vice and folly of contempt. We frequently see the respectful attentions of the world more strongly directed towards the rich and the great than towards the wise and the virtuous. We see frequently the vices and follies of the powerful much less despised than the poverty and weakness of the innocent, to deserve to acquire and to enjoy the respect and the admiration of mankind are the great objects of ambition and emulation. Two different roads are presented to us, equally leading to the attainment of this so much desired object. The one, by the study of wisdom and the practice of virtue. The other, by the acquisition of wealth and greatness. Two different characters are presented to our emulation. The one, of proud ambition. And ostentatious avidity, the other of humble modesty and equitable justice. Two different models, two different pictures are held out to us according to which we may fashion our character and behaviour. The one more gaudy and glittering in its colouring, the other more correct and more exquisitely beautiful in its outline. The one forcing itself upon the notice of every wandering eye, the other attracting the attention of scarce anybody but the most studious and careful observer. They are the wise and the virtuous chiefly. A select, though I'm afraid, but a small party, who are the real and steady admirers of wisdom and virtue, the great mob of mankind, are the admirers and worshippers. in what may seem more extraordinary, most frequently the disinterested admirers and worshippers of wealth and greatness. The respect which we feel for wisdom and virtue is, no doubt, different from that which we conceive for wealth and greatness. And it requires no nice discernment to distinguish the difference. But notwithstanding this difference, those sentiments bear a very considerable resemblance to one another. In some particular features, they are, no doubt, different. But in the general air of the countenance, they seem to be so very nearly the same that an attentive observers are very apt to mistake the one for the other, In equal degrees of merit, their scarcity may does not respect more the rich and the great than the poor and the humble, with most men the presumption and vanity of the former are much more admired than the real and solid merit of the latter. It is scarce agreeable to good morals or even to good language, perhaps, to say that mere wealth and greatness, abstracted from merit and virtue, deserve our respect. We must acknowledge, however, that they almost constantly obtain it and that they may therefore be considered as in some respects the natural objects of it those exalted stations may no doubt be completely degraded by vice and folly but the vice and folly must be very great before they can operate this complete degradation the profligacy of a man of fashion is looked upon with much less contempt and aversion than that of a man of meaner condition in the latter a single transgression of the rules of temperance and propriety is commonly more resented and the constant and avowed contempt of them ever is in the former in the middling and inferior stations of life the road to virtue and that to fortune to such fortune at least as men in such stations can reasonably expect to acquire are happily in most cases very nearly the same In all the middling and inferior professions real and solid professional abilities joined to prudent just firm and temperate conduct can very seldom fail of success abilities will even sometimes prevail where the conduct is by no means correct Either habitual imprudence, however, or injustice, or weakness, or profligacy will always cloud, and sometimes depress altogether the most splendid professional abilities. Men in the inferior and middle extinctions of life, besides, can never be great enough to be above the law, which must generally overawe them into some sort of respect for, at least, the most important rules of justice. The success of such people, too, almost always depends upon the favor and good opinion of their neighbors and equals, and without a tolerably regular conduct, these can very seldom be obtained the good old proverb therefore that honesty is the best policy holds in such situations almost always perfectly true in such situations therefore we may generally expect a considerable degree of virtue and fortunately for the good morals of society these are the situations of by far the greater part of mankind in the superior stations of life the case is unhappily not always the same in the courts of princes and the drawing-rooms of the great where success and preferment depend not upon the esteem of intelligent and well-informed equals but upon the fanciful and foolish favor of ignorant presumptuous and proud superiors flattery and falsehood too often prevail over of their own abilities in such societies the abilities to please are more regarded than the abilities to serve in quiet and peaceable times when the storm is at a distance the prince or great man wishes only to be amused and is even apt to fancy that he has scarce any occasion for the service of any body, or that those who amuse him are sufficiently able to serve him. The external graces, the frivolous accomplishments of that impertinent and foolish thing called a man of fashion, are commonly more admired than the sought and masculine and virtues of a warrior, a statement of a philosopher or a legislator. All the great and awful virtues, all the virtues which can fit, either for the council, the senate, or the field, are, by the insolent and insignificant flatterers, calmly figure the most in such corrupted societies held in the utmost contempt and derision. When the Duke of Sully was called upon Louis Thirteenth to give his advice on some great emergency, he observed the favorites and courtiers, whispering to one another and smiling at his unfashionable appearance, "'Whenever your Majesty's father,' said the old warrior-statesman, did me the honor to consult me, he ordered the buffoons of the court to retire into the antechamber. "'It is from our disposition to admire,' and consequently to imitate the rich and the great, that they are enabled to sit, or to lead, what is called the fashion, their dress is the fashionable dress, the language of their conversation, the fashionable style, their air and deportment, the fashionable behavior, even their vices and follies are fashionable, and the greater part of men are proud to imitate and resemble them in the very qualities which dishonor and degrade them. Vain men often give themselves the airs of a fashionable profligacy, which in their hearts they do not approve of, and of which, perhaps, they are not really guilty, they desire to be praised for what they themselves do not think praiseworthy, and are ashamed of unfashionable virtues which they sometimes practice in secret, and for which they have secretly some degree of real veneration. There are hypocrites of wealth and greatness, as well as of religion and virtue, and a vain man is apt to pretend to be what he is not in the one way, as the cunning man is in the other, assumes the equipage and splendid way of living of his superiors without considering that whatever may be praiseworthy in any of these derives its whole merit and propriety from its suitableness to that situation and fortune which both required can easily support the expense. Many a poor man places his glory in being thought rich without considering that the duties, if one may call such follies by so venerable a name, which that reputation imposes upon him, must soon reduce him to beggary, and render his situation still more, Unlike that of those whom he admires and imitates, than it had been originally. To attain to this endless situation, the candidates for fortune too frequently abandon the path of virtue, for unhappily the road which leads to the one and that which leads to the other lie sometimes in very opposite directions. But the ambitious man flatters himself that, in the splendid situation to which he advances, he will have so many means of commanding the respect and admiration of mankind, will he will be enabled to act with such superior propriety and grace that the lustre of its future conduct will entirely cover or efface the foulness of the steps by which he arrived at that elevation. In many governments the candidates for the highest stations are above the law, and if they can attain the object of their ambition, they have no fear of being called to account for the means by which they acquired it. They often endeavour, therefore, not only by fraud and falsehood, the ordinary and vulgar arts of intrigue and cabal, but that sometimes by the perpetration of the most enormous crimes, by murder, in assassination by rebellion and civil war, to supplant and destroy those who oppose or stand in the way of their greatness. They more frequently miscarry than succeed, and commonly gain nothing but the disgraceful punishment which is due to their crimes. But, though they should be so lucky as to attain that wish for greatness, they are always most miserably disappointed in the happiness which they expect to enjoy it in. It is not ease or pleasure, but always honor of one kind or another, though frequently an honor very ill-understood, that the ambitious man really pursues, but the honor of his exalted station appears both in his own eyes and in those of other people polluted and defiled by the baseness of the means through which he rose to it. Though by the profusion of every liberal expense, though by excessive indulgence in every profligate pleasure, the wretched but usual resource of ruined characters, though by the hurry of public business, or by prouder or more dazzling tumult of war, he may endeavor to efface both from his own memory and from that of other people, the remembrance of what he has done, that remembrance never fails to pursue him. He invokes in vain the dark and dismal powers of forgetfulness and oblivion. He remembers himself what he has done, and that remembrance tells him that other people must likewise remember it. Amidst all the gaudy pomp of the most ostentatious greatness, amidst the venal and vile adulation of the great and of the learned, amidst the innocent, the more foolish acclamations of the common people, Amidst all the pride of conquest and the triumph of successful war, he is still secretly pursued by the avenging furies of shame and remorse, and, while glory seems to surround him on all sides, he himself, in his own imagination, sees black and foul infamy, fast pursuing him, and every moment ready to overtake him from behind. Even the great Caesar, though he had the magnanimity to dismiss his guards, could not dismiss his suspicions. The remembrance of Pharsalia still haunted and pursued him, when at the requests of the senate he had the generosity to pardon marcellus he told that assembly that he was not unaware of the designs which were carrying on against his life but that as he had lived long enough for both nature and for glory he was contented to die and therefore despised all conspiracies he had perhaps lived long enough for nature but the man who felt himself the object of such deadly resentment from those whose favour he wished to gain and whom he still wished to consider as his friends had certainly lived too long for real glory or for all the happiness which he could ever hope to enjoy in the love and esteem of his equals, end of section seven.